Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everyone. What uh, wonderful good news to have in our service about Nicholas Marker. We rejoice with Nicholas and with all, excuse me, with all the Marker family. Um, in case those of you who do not know, uh, Nicholas is a, among those who are away at uh, Winterfest in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I uh, understand we had about an equal number of teenagers and adults go, and so we want to be sure and pray for those adults. <laughs> and uh, they are returning tomorrow. Uh, got to add an extra day to the trip this year since uh, it was a holiday for, from school uh, for uh, most of the kids. So uh, we're just rejoicing uh, to hear about Nicholas. And uh, it gives me opportunity to say, too, that if there's anyone here uh, today who has not yet confessed Christ and been baptized into him, that we would love to see you do that today. And uh, you could come at the end of the uh, message this morning when we sing that invitation song and say that that's your desire, or you can talk to me or to anybody that you've seen up here this morning and uh, let us know that that's your desire, and we'll make sure that it happens. And uh, we'd just be delighted to assist you in that way. Uh, also, uh, it's my great pleasure to let you know that we have another uh, new member uh, who's been with us now for about two years, I think, Lee Pelchier. Uh, Lee is uh, Libby Montgomery and Becky Davis's brother. Uh, he's been attending with us here for almost two years, I think, and uh, wants to be recognized as part of this congregation. And we're so delighted to have Lee with us. Lee, would you wave everybody? And okay, there he is, right back there. Oh, oh there he is. We've already put him to work. Yeah, that's it. All right, good, good. Glad to glad to see that. That's. Um, we welcome you, Lee. He's a delightful guy, and uh, we're glad to add to uh, the family uh, through uh, this family. You're probably familiar with the statement in Ecclesiastes 12.12 12, that says, of the making of many books, there is no end. And if you get on Amazon and scroll through looking at different kinds of books, you'll see how true that is. And that is especially true, I think, of books on leadership. Uh, it seems like every year there's just hundreds of new books on leadership that are produced. And uh, you'll find uh, books on organizational leadership written by coaches and business executives and military strategists and politicians and uh, a host of other people, uh, all of them talking about uh, different ways to organize and different ways to win and different ways to succeed and different ways to get ahead. And then when you open your New Testament, you will find not a word about any of that kind of thing. Scriptures do not talk about organizational leadership in the sense we usually use that term. They don't talk about winning and succeeding and getting ahead. They talk about being faithful to the example of Jesus Christ. They talk about being faithful to the teachings of Jesus and following the example that he provides. They, the models taught in Scripture are not drawn from the worlds of business or military or finance or athletics or any of those other things. They are drawn from Jesus himself. And that is certainly true of the text we're looking at today, 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter talks to the elders of the church about how they are to shepherd the flock. Now, this text is familiar to most of us. Uh, we have heard it uh, repeatedly. We have read it repeatedly. But I find myself wondering if some of the ways that we have handled this text have not prevented us from seeing its real meaning. 
and I'm including myself in, in that, in the ways of handling the text. I, in studying it this week, it dawned on me there were some things that I had overlooked, not thought about uh, at all in understanding this text. And, and so here's what I'm talking about. First of all, we usually talk about this text when we are selecting shepherds. In fact, that's usually the only time we talk about it. And I didn't plan it this way. Uh, but we're going to be starting that process in a couple of Sundays, and here we are again, talking about First uh, Peter chapter 5. Now, it's not a bad thing that we talk about this text in connection with selecting shepherds, but we need to understand that that's not what it's about. It's not about selecting them and not about how to select them. It is helpful to know what kind of men we need to be looking for, but it's not about selecting them. It's about how they are to lead, the spirit in which they are to lead God's people. And notice it's not addressed about them, it is addressed to them. Peter speaks directly to the elders. He exhorts the elders as a fellow elder and a partaker of the sufferings and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus. So he's talking to them and not about them. And he tells them to shepherd the flock in verse 2. Tend to the flock the way that Jesus said that a good shepherd does in John chapter 10. In John 10, Jesus says the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know his voice and they follow him because they, they know him, they trust him. And he says that's how good shepherds ought to lead today. So he provides for them, he protects them. And uh, he also says exercising oversight, looking out for them. Uh, those who are selected are watching over the church looking out for the welfare of the church. So this isn't about selecting shepherds. It's about the spirit in which shepherds are to lead. A second thing I noticed is that we usually don't say anything about the context of this text. We just kind of isolate it uh, and don't really look at the verses around it. What is the function of this text in the larger body of the letter? How does it fit the larger discussion? Well, we can never fully understand a text if we take it out of context. So let's look at the context. What's the first word in verse 1? It is the word so or therefore. Now, if you're reading the NIV, it's not there because they decided not to translate it. They just left it out. That happens sometimes with the Greek language. Uh, translators will choose just not to translate this little particle. It means so or therefore. But it's important because it points back to what's just been said. What is the context of this discussion? The context of this discussion is the sufferings of Jesus. Chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, When we suffer, we are to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In other words, never stop doing the right thing, no matter what the cost. Never stop doing the right thing, no matter how you might have to suffer for it. So, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. What's he telling them? He's exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock, to exercise oversight, even if that means suffering for them. Even if that means life is harder for them. Even if that means that that, that brings unwanted attention to them in a situation of persecution. You know, in times of persecution... It's the church's leaders that the enemy always goes after first. And that's probably what Peter has in mind here. Even if it means suffering for them, 
shepherd the flock, exercise the oversight. Notice Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but also a partaker in the coming glory. He's an elder like them, he says. The context uh, is seeing to God's people in their time of deepest need. They're suffering too. They're suffering too. And so he says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to come, I'm exhorting you to shepherd the flock. I'm exhorting you to exercise oversight. That's an important point. We need to pay attention to the context of 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5. Something else you sometimes hear uh, is that this passage is interpreted as though Peter is writing to Christians of different generations. Uh, that is triggered by the presence of the word elders or older men uh, in verse 1 and the presence of the word you who are, or the term you who are younger in verse 5. And so we see older, younger, we think that's what he's doing. He's talking to the generations. I don't think that's it at all because if you read verses 1 to 4 carefully, he's not just talking to the older people. He's not just talking to the old folks or about the old folks in the church. He's talking about the elders who have been appointed to lead the church. That's quite clear, isn't it? The ones who are to shepherd the flock, the ones who have the oversight of the flock. So then what does he mean when he talks to, about, or to you who are younger? He's talking about younger, not in terms of, of chronological age. He's talking to those who are younger in terms of Christian experience. Those who have not walked in the path of following Jesus as long as those who are older. Those who need to follow the example of, those that are be, of what's being set for them by those who are their leaders. So this is a text not only about leading, it's also a text about following. It's not a text about what one generation ought to do as opposed to another generation. It's about how there are levels of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ and how those who are younger need to follow the lead of those who are older. Another thing I noticed about this text is that we tend to focus on what Peter says negatively about how elders are not to lead, instead of focusing positively on what he says about how they are to lead. For some reason, we end up talking about the negatives more so than the positives. You know that there are three pairs of contrast in verse uh, verses 2 and 3. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now we need to pay attention to the negative statements because Peter includes them and the contrast is important. But we don't want to overbalance things by looking so much at the negatives that we, we overlook the significance of the positives, for all these positives, when they are put together, give us a composite portrait of a good shepherd. They give us a composite portrait of what a good shepherd looks like and what a good shepherd does and how a good shepherd leads. He says, first of all, he's one who leads willingly, willingly. He's ready and willing to serve God and serve the church by shepherding his people. One of the greatest needs that the church has always is to have men who are willing to take on that role. It's a demanding role. It's an exacting role. 
And we need men who are willing to do it. We need men who are willing to step up. We need men who are willing to say, yes, this is going to make my life more complicated. Uh, this is going to make my life at times more frustrating. But it's also, it's also going to be a way of serving God and serving God's people in a way that, that not that many people ever get to do. We need people who are going to serve willingly, not because they are pressured, but because they want to serve God through serving his church. That leads us to the next piece of the, of the portrait. The good shepherd is one who leads eagerly, willingly and then eagerly. He accepts the challenge because he knows the importance of the work. He's eager to serve other believers. He's eager to serve uh, God. He's eager to lead the church to do greater things in the service of God. He's eager to stand in the gap and do what needs to be done to help make the church what God wants the church to be. And then Peter says he's one who leads by example. He knows that his own life is the flesh and blood model for others to follow talked earlier about the fact that in all the leadership books, they'll talk about the, uh, the business model, the military model, the athletic model, all those other models. The model to be followed by shepherds in the church is the Jesus model. And as these men model Christ before other believers, then we are to be able to model our lives after them. The good shepherd knows the responsibility of that, but he also knows, he also knows the great privilege of it. This past week, I was reading in the book of Joshua, and I got to the end of the book, and there was a passage I'd read before, but I was reminded of, of the power of a positive example. Joshua 24 and verse 31. Joshua comes to the end of his life, and when Joshua died, the scripture says that all the days of the life of Joshua, Israel was faithful to God. All the days of the lives of the elders who knew Joshua, Israel was faithful to God. They followed his example because he set a righteous example. When people wanted to exalt him, he didn't want to be exalted. He just wanted to serve. He wanted to lead. He was able to stand before the people of Israel and to say to them, I've not coveted anything that any of you have. I'm not taking anything that wasn't coming to me. I've not enriched myself through the role in which I've been. I've led you in battle. I've led you through uh, the uh, conquest of the promised land. I've led you to do what God wanted you to do. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And the people who followed the example of Joshua were faithful to the Lord all of their days. But then you got to another generation that didn't have the Joshua example. And the whole picture changed. We cannot underestimate the power of a positive example. Not by coercion, Peter says, but by example. But what a beautiful portrait of the servant of God. Willing, eager, leading by example. Something else I noticed about this text is that we sometimes focus so much on the shepherds who are among us, the appointed shepherds, that we neglect what Peter says about the chief shepherd. We just sort of put him in there as a footnote. But he's not the footnote. He's what the whole passage is about. Because that chief shepherd 
is Christ himself. You know, here at Glen Allen, we've been without appointed shepherds among us for almost a year. And we're trying to rectify that with the process that's coming up next month. But we have never, ever been shepherdless. We have never been shepherdless. Because as Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And we have not ever been in want. As long as God is our shepherd. We are never in want of anything that we truly need. We never have been. Ultimately, ultimately, as important as our appointed shepherds are, we are overseen and cared for by someone far greater, the good shepherd, as Jesus describes himself in John chapter 10. A little bit of background on all of that. The background of John chapter 10 is Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34... God berates the faithless shepherds of Israel because they haven't cared for the sheep. They've used their position for their own gain. And here's what he says in verse 4. He says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness have you ruled them. And then you go down a little bit later, and he says, I myself will shepherd my sheep, declares the Lord. God says, I'm going to do the shepherding myself. And then in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, he says this, and I will set up over them, over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And who is that servant? That's what Jesus is announcing in John 10. He says, I am that good shepherd. I'm that descendant of David. I'm the one who's shepherding Israel. I'm the one who's doing all that the faithless shepherds didn't do. And he's encouraged all, uh, as we read 1 Peter 5, to be servants of the good shepherd, to be modeling ourselves after the good shepherd. When Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that good shepherd foretold in Ezekiel 34, David's descendant, David, who would shepherd his people, Israel. And then now we all live under his leadership. He's always watching over us. He's always caring for us. He's always providing for us. Does that make the appointed shepherds in a congregation any less important? No, it makes them more important makes them more important because they are shepherding on his behalf. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, say he's the chief, you're the shepherd, but he's the chief shepherd. And when he appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know what all that looks like, but can you imagine anything better than receiving an unfading crown of glory from the good shepherd himself? What a great privilege, what a great honor, what a great responsibility. But that is the promise of 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. Something else about this text. Because shepherds have that great responsibility, the rest of us, you who are younger, he says, have an equally great one to follow their lead. Verse 5, likewise, notice that word. Notice the word so at the beginning of what he said to the elders. Now notice the word likewise, because he's continuing the same thought. 
as he talks to the rest of the church. Just as they submit themselves to the Lord's leadership, so we should submit ourselves to theirs. He says, be subject to the elders. If they are willing to serve us in this way, if they are willing to, as Jesus says in John 10, lay down their lives for the sheep, then we ought to be willing to follow their lead, follow their example. The key to all of that is stated in the rest of verse 5, when Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, both the elders and the younger, with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves. This is the language that we sometimes find in the letters of Paul, where he'll talk about putting off things that are, are bad, things that are negative, things that are evil in our lives, and putting on, as though we were putting on a garment. We're clothing ourselves. Clothe yourselves, he says, with humility, all of you. That's what makes shepherding and following work. That's what makes leading the right kind of leading. That's what makes following the right kind of following. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our elders need the humility to serve by leading as Jesus led. And we all need the humility to follow their lead by submitting to what they're trying to do for us. So this is Peter's leadership manual. You won't find it on Amazon. You find it here in 1 Peter 5. And it's a lot more succinct, isn't it? It's a lot simpler. But in some ways, it's a lot more difficult. Because it's not only a leadership manual, it's also a fellowship manual for all of us to follow. You'll find nothing here about organization or power or success or strategies or winning or rising above anybody else. What you will find here is a teaching that we are to clothe ourselves, all of us, with humility in the way that Jesus was clothed with humility. This text is about two things. It's about service and it's about humility. It's about leading in the way that Jesus led. And it's about following in the way that he would have us all to follow. If you're ready to follow him today, we hope you are. We pray that you are. And we invite you to come and say, I'm ready to follow him. Let's stand together and sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.